you'd be excited to see? Who would you wait in line, or who have you waited in line to see? Yeah, I would Howard Thurman, but he's, he's not around right now. <laughs> huh? Sure, sure. Who'd you be excited to see? I know one time Nikki and I went to New York City and we spent half a day trying to see anyone who was filming anything. Anyone. We were in like Central Park. They were, they were filming a show that was called God Friended Me or something like that. And we stood there as if we knew who anyone was because they were on TV. I've got friends in town who will go to wherever, wherever they put the, the sheets up that say like there will be filming here this week. And they just hang out there hoping to see somebody. I, I know that Don and all the other Swifties would be really excited to see the Chiefs. He's so excited that more people agree with him. He's feeling good lately. There's people we'd be excited to see. And here in the Gospel according to Mark, it's recorded that Jesus goes back to his hometown. And he Wright believes he's actually in his house, that Jesus is doing this from his house. Other people often think it's Peter's house. But it's, it's from a familiar house anyway. And everybody is excited to see him. Everybody gathers around. People are coming from everywhere. They want to hear what he has to say, absolutely. But what they're really excited about is the miracles. What they really want to see is something incredible, right? And I imagine there are people who just want to see any miracle, but there's also people who want a specific miracle, and that's why they're there. And there's so many people that they have crowded the entire house, they're crowded looking through the windows, through the door. There is no way to get there because there are so many people gathered around Jesus. And the text doesn't give us a formula to follow or a recipe for healing, but it does show us God's character. It does show us Jesus' heart towards others. And my prayer this morning in the midst of play-doh and all this kind of stuff is that we could maybe catch a glimpse between all of these words of Jesus' face being towards us. Here's a few of the words that Pastor Rob read. Then some people came, bring to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, which we saw displayed, right? And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they, went, uh, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. It is fitting that we have a little bit of a wild, chaotic scene in here, because this is a wild and chaotic scene. I, I've never been somewhere where people remove a roof to get in. And they don't have shingles and stuff, but it's plenty of an obstacle. They've, they've got twigs and mud and all this stuff they've got to move. And there's, there's real questions. How, how did they remove the roof? I mean, I know that they took the steps up, and I get the architecture of the houses at the time. But, like, how did they do? Did they just dig with their hands? Did they have some tools with them? And if you're inside and somebody's removing a roof above you, like, you're covered, right? 
Like they're really excited to ask something of Jesus, and yet they're like covering him with soot and roof and whatever else it is. How many people had twigs and dirt in their hair? I want to know. And as they're letting this man down, did they hand the man to other people? You know what I mean? Like if you're up high and you're setting someone down, you're not reaching the floor. So did somebody else take the mat? Or did they like lower people too and they had like feet? Like how, how are they doing all this? This is a fascinating thing. The room is too packed to lower a man and yet somehow there's room. So there's people just losing their space. But there's theological questions too. Like particularly, whose faith is being acknowledged? It's plural. In English, it's plural. But in Greek, it's plural. Your faith, plural. He notices their faith. It's certain that the friend's faith is part of this. And then Jesus uses this kind, familial word, child. We don't know that the man was, was a, a child like an age. He calls him a child in this related, attached kind of language. And then these scandalous words are spoken. Your sins are forgiven. The man's lowered by his friends because they, they dream that maybe, just maybe, he could walk again. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. A real question, how can these sins be forgiven? The man didn't ask for it. The man didn't acknowledge Jesus as Savior. All of these things didn't happen. How can his sins be forgiven? I remember being young, and after I believed in Jesus, I began to realize more and more how much I needed forgiveness. And I was so afraid that I did it wrong that I went forward in church probably like 12 times. I went forward in Lutheran churches. I went forward in Pentecostal churches. I went forward at Bible camp. I went forward at a youth retreat. I went forward at a men's retreat, even though I didn't qualify for the men's retreat. If there was a way to go forward, that's the way I was going. I bent a knee, I bent my head, I, I did everything that I could. I had already been baptized, so then I confirmed my baptism, then I got nervous about that, got rebaptized. I, I, I'm telling you, if you guys are looking for someone to give you like this great image of what it looks like to be faithful once, you got the wrong pastor. <laughs> I'm the one who has been anxious and insecure 10,000 times. And I was afraid that I didn't say it right. I was afraid that I didn't mean it right. I was afraid that if God knows our heart, maybe I didn't know my heart. And, and I was just nervous about doing all of this wrong, and I'm not alone. Jesus says these words in the midst of a people who are mostly Jewish at this point, right? And in the Jewish faith, there's one day a year where you forget, your sins are forgiven. You wait all year until Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, your sins are finally atoned for, and you feel clean for a day, and then you wait a year. That's a lot. And Jesus looks at this person and his four friends, and he says, I see your faith. You all are forgiven. This man laying on a mat, lowered from the ceiling, Jesus just announces forgiveness as if it's Jesus' forgiveness to give. 
that would feel scandalous. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Now the scribes in their head are questioning who can claim this forgiveness outside of God? Who can do this? And, and this Jesus reads their mind and brings the question out loud. That's pretty awesome and kind of funny. Whether it be the Holy Spirit doing this or however it happened, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. But this, this Jewish faith is built around God being one God, right? The scribes aren't being these evil people. They're trying to be really faithful to what they believe. <laughs> and so this Jesus in their minds can't be trusted. Because Jesus is offering something that isn't his to offer. These scribes are sitting around appalled by what Jesus said. And they've begun what is now centuries-long task of violently limiting Jesus. We see this in the gospel, and we have practiced it now today. We're famous for putting limits on God. And rigorous theological study is important for the church, but we have to remember that Jesus never fits nicely into our religious language. It doesn't happen. Unless careful, we can join the masses of people who are violently pushing people out or violently pushing people into the kingdom of God, all of the mystery and person of Jesus maneuvers well beyond our categories, well beyond what we know, and doesn't ask us permission. As important as studying salvation, the kingdom of God, healing in the New Testament and beyond, we remember that it is a good practice in humility to remember that God isn't bound to our understanding. The ways we see God working through Scripture, through history, they're good to define. And then a passage like this comes up to remind us that this is a living God that we serve. This forgiveness in Mark 2 is scandalous to our understanding because it wasn't asked for. The sinfulness of this man is never acknowledged. Jesus as Messiah was never confessed. And yet forgiveness touched the life of this child of Jesus. I think that says a lot about Jesus' posture towards people. Let's look at how this section of Scripture ends. Jesus says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive your sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now look at the, the wisdom and craftsmanship of Jesus' language. He, he says, which is easier to say, right? And that's an easy one. Which one's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or go ahead and stand up, person who can't walk, and go walk. Well, it's much easier to, with words, say your sins are forgiven because then you don't know how to prove that it's really 
true. It's much harder to say, pick up your mat and walk, because then they would pick up their mat and walk, and you would know if you're right or you're wrong, right? He's calling them on just saying things doesn't matter. What matters is what we do beyond what we say. And in that, Jesus does both. He does forgive this man that day. And he heals his body. Now we can dissect the theology of these verses, and it'd be fun to do over coffee. I'd love to, but like these kids, let's, let's, let's look at this one thing, the kingdom of God. This Jesus of Nazareth is way more than we could imagine. And healing and wholeness broke through where it wasn't even asked for. But that's hard, right? The idea that for this paralytic man, healing, wholeness broke through where it wasn't even asked for is really hard to hear because many of us have asked and we don't yet know healing and wholeness. And this week I kept thinking about the categories within our theology, our ways of describing what God does and doesn't do and what faith looks like and doesn't look like. And in some ways I believe that this is, we do this to know God more deeply and that's beautiful. And we need to do that. But I also think we form these categories so that we can manage our hopes. If we can set rules that Jesus follows, then we know not to get our hopes up. And when to just roll with the punches. We can use our, our understanding of God to cushion our fall. It prevents magical thinking and it gives us maturity when we feel let down or disappointed. But it's Family Sunday. And I'm reminded that Jesus invites us to come in like a child. And when a child is safely attached to parents or loved ones, when children feel like they belong, you know what they do? They do this. They do this. I didn't feel like I belonged in my parents' ch church. And in the churches I went to with my grandmother. And you know what happened? My arms under here were always pinched. Why did people do that? <laughs> I would like yawn or breathe. And my arm was pinched. It wasn't my space. But when we belong, we are who we are. And if something hurts, we cry. And if we're excited, we laugh. And all of these things start to happen. All the obstacles, the aches, everything is brought and shared. Hoping that the parent's love is big enough to handle all that the ch child is facing. Part of what we're hoping as a church that we can do is have it not just be a parent or a grandparent, but a community that loves on these kids and says, whatever you're facing, we face it with you. Why do we do that? Because we're good people? No, it's not because we're good people. Because Jesus does that with us. But then we have this decision to make for ourselves. Jesus invites us to come like a child to Jesus, and that means we come honest about our obstacles, our aches, and our everything. This morning, I'm not reading Mark 2 and stating that Jesus' desire is to remove everything that paralyzes us, emotionally, relationally, physically. I'm not stating any certainty because I don't think that's why we have this encounter recorded. We're reading Mark 2. We're talking about it with kids in the room and all of this happening because I think it reminds us of the character of Jesus. 
Jesus' heart towards people, us included. I'm reminded that God's kingdom is bent towards wholeness and healing and reconciliation and hope. I'm reminded that when I feel crushed because life hasn't broken in the way I wanted it to, I don't have to construct understandings that make everything make sense. Instead, I can know that Jesus can handle me in my disappointment, my heartache, whatever it is. This account has scribes policing who has access to Jesus and even what Jesus has access to. But we also have these four friends, right? And they have this faith to interrupt Jesus on behalf of the one that they love. And finally, they have this man, the center of this interruption, dependent on friends and dependent on the mercy of Jesus. He leaves needing to imagine a life completely other than the one he knew, a life where he's forgiven and didn't even know he desired it, a life where he's walking, where he only knew being paralyzed. I don't know all that you're facing as you walk in this morning. I don't know how this is for you, having a family worship and kids and uh, possible distractions and all this stuff. I don't know, but I do believe that the character of Jesus is consistent. And his posture towards people in Mark 2 is the same that it is for the people in this room. For me, that is the Jesus that I'm straining to see. That's the Jesus I want to encounter. Because when I come with the things that paralyze me, or when y'all carry me, or I get to be one of the ones who carry you towards Jesus, Everything hasn't wrapped up the way that I wanted. Everything hasn't gone the way that I imagined. But I know that I know that I know that the Jesus that I experience has the same kindness and patience as he shows here in Mark 2. So we're going to take a minute and pray. And then we're going to end a little different this morning. We're going to end with the song that the kids sang. And as we pray, I want you to almost collect up all the things that quote-unquote paralyze you. All the things that you kind of neatly tuck away. And I want you to imagine what Jesus' face is towards you. And then we're going to sing these words that are really simple kid song. But when we sing the words next to what we're facing, they they aren't quite so simple. And maybe if we don't believe them ourselves, maybe the faith of our young friends can carry us. So can we pray? Jesus, I thank you that you are kind towards us. When I think of in your word that it says that your face shines upon us and we know that that is this joy that you delight in seeing us. When I think of that person disrupting your sermon and disrupting your house and coming crashing through the roof and you called him child and you forgave sins he didn't know he wanted forgiven. And you healed his body and your kingdom broke through and your kingdom is still breaking through and yet we carry all this tension 
all this ache for more of your kingdom. God, in this moment, will you remind us of who you are? Will you remind us of of our relationship to you? Will you remind us of your faithfulness? And as these kids sing this song that's written for them, give us the courage to feel the weight of the words, the richness of its meaning, May our hearts believe as well. In your name. Amen.